When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Of the Shock Therapy Podcast, Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alphonse. Hey, man, it's Combine Week. Such an exciting time of the year. Have you had a chance to, to hear uh, Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco's presser at all? Um, I watched all of Telesco's press conference and just seeing the bits and pieces of Staley's presser. Um, but yeah, heard plenty enough to be super excited and completely committed for this upcoming season. You know, I've been waiting for the Chargers to be in this type of competitive win now mode my entire life. Um, so I'm excited to be here, heart pumping, really, really excited to get into this episode. So let's talk a little bit about this presser a little bit. Uh, not a whole lot to take away because it's coach speak and it's Tom Telesco speak and they keep everything to the chest. And uh, coach speak goes, those two guys are really good at it. It's a they crowd. are. They're good at it. <clears throat> They're really good at it. I know um, uh, um, Tom Telesco didn't want to talk too much about contracts. That was kind of his, his take on it. But he did give you little bits and tidbits to, to take away. Uh, he was asked about Mike Williams being brought back. He said that his preference would be to extend Williams long-term, but there's cap considerations that need to be taken into account. He didn't say whether or not they are actually in negotiations, but I would assume that there is some sort of negotiating going on. Um, the Chargers also were – he was also asked about Brian Bulaga uh, and the $10.7 million cap hit. Um he says that it's kind of undetermined right now, and we'll have to walk through those decisions as we're moving forward. I don't see any way Brian Bulaga is brought back, um, not with the, the fact that he hasn't really played in two years. We've joked about it a little bit on the pod. Um, you're still on the same bandwagon, right? It has to be one of the easiest general manager decisions 
in the history of the game. It, it, it just makes too much sense to cut a guy who hasn't played for you since signing. Um, he was a guy we had big hopes for, hasn't lived mm-hmm. up to him. So I think it's a time to cut ties, especially with this uh, competitive window that I was mentioning. One of the things that I do want to bring up that is kind of interesting. So Jerry Tillery's fifth-year option is coming up. Are you taking the fifth-year option on Jerry Tillery? It comes out to just over $10 million for a one-year contract. No, I think the Tillery experiment, I think, needs to officially be over in Los Angeles. I don't think his career in the NFL is over. I just think he needs a new change of scenery. He's not getting it done in what we want him to do. Um, he's a first-round pick, just hasn't lived up to the hype. I, I say you got to cut ties with a guy like that and let him go prove himself somewhere else. I, I just don't see him worth the money, especially with a very, very crowded uh, interior draft class and some high-quality agents on the mar- in the free agent market. I, I just – he hasn't earned, uh, an, in my opinion, enough to – earn that fifth year no i definitely don't think there's any way the church pick up jerry taylor's uh fifth year option and, and it interesting, is interesting go, go ahead. ahead i'll let you take it well you could just mention the contracts and that similar question asked the last similar the last couple of years right mike williams he was saying you know that, that he pretty much told us that they were going to give the fifth year option to right. him and then derwin james uh, a few seasons ago, he said, there's no way we're not going to, to – that's probably one of the easiest decisions I could possibly make was is Derwin James' fifth-year contract. And Derwin James was injured for two and a, a year and a half, basically, right? He had one real good season as a, as a rookie. Um, but I think you saw kind of what you were going to get out of Derwin James just out of camp because he was there for both the camps. And he was making plays in both the camps. Uh, even with the injury issue, you just saw the talent there, and you're like, this guy, no matter what, we're signing him. Which brings us into the next part of that segment is uh, he's got to be getting a deal this season, right? Uh, Yeah, and something I've been reading, there's a lot of high-caliber safeties right now looking to restructure deals. So I I definitely restructuring Derwin has to be a priority for the Chargers, and it would be in their interest to get that deal done sooner uh, because there's going to be a lot of, you know, market setting contracts getting handed out to safeties here in the upcoming year. So the sooner we get that deal done, uh, the better for all parties. Yeah, I definitely don't think there's any way we're not going to sign him to at least a five-year contract. He's getting and, that, yeah. He's signing. There's, yeah, he's going to get paid. Uh, he's going to get paid very, very well. I think it's going to come later rather than sooner because – I think that he is going to wait to see what that marking, what what the market is during free agency. Why would he sign it early, right? There's no reason for him not to to go and do that. And well, he's I, at that yeah. talent level where you're offering more than five years. Like at his at his talent, like he's one of the best safeties in the NFL, one of the best defensive players in the entire NFL. If I'm Tom Telesco, I'm probably offering six, seven, eight years for a guy like that, and I have no worries whatsoever of offering some massive massive contract in that range lock him up right he's a guy you can build around for many many years with that versatile skill set i'm kind of like it's a different sport entirely but i'm just kind of equating it to the big deal that the padre signed fernando tatis jr to they knew that guy's going to be really good and they want him in san diego for the bulk of his competitive 
window. Uh, I say you are just seeing the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Derwin James' potential. Lock him up through all of the best years that he's going to play. The rest, I, of, I, the rest of the 2020 era. Just let's lock him I'll up. Him and for a decade. I'm yeah. fine with it. Give him a decade-long contract. I am such a big fan. And he's switching to number three. That is going to be looking so cool, flashing across my screen, uh, making plays all over the place. Yeah, take you really back to the Florida State days. Uh, the last thing I kind of want to touch on out of Tom Telesco's um, uh, presser, uh, he did say that he's probably looking to add to the tight end room. I know I've been on the Donald Parham as tight end one train, but I think that just says that the Chargers are likely going to go after a tight end during free agency. Now, whether that's a top tier Mike Gusecki type of contract or if it's a lower tier uh, you know, maybe a tight end two to pair with the, the young group. Um, I, I don't know exactly where he's going to go with the tight end room, but he's definitely going to be targeting somebody in free agency there. And my feeling is just hearing from, you know, my takeaways from his presser, he had a lot of praise for the young tight ends. I'm going to throw in Steven Anderson in there because he's younger than, than Jared Allen, even though he's, I, I think like 20, 29, years old. 29. Yeah. Younger than Jared Cook. Um, either way, he had a lot of praise for them in talking about, like we've talked about a lot on this pod, about how they have very unique skill sets and that complement each other very well. But then in the same breath, he was mentioning the big veteran departure of Jared Cook. So I think, I think they're set talent-wise. I really think they're looking for a guy to bring the, especially McKitty and Parham along, uh, bringing that veteran presence. So a, a guy like Gronk, I think could make a lot of sense. Somebody you don't need on the field a whole lot. Gronk's, has that. Gronk's retired. Let's not even yeah. get into that. Gronk's, Gronk is not re- Gronk's not retired. He's working he's, out two times a, a day. He might be he, working out two times a day, but that's just because he's a he's a loghead, and that's all he knows how to do. Listen, I don't see any no. way that he continues Once, to play without if Gronk's really Listen, if Gronk's really retired, he would not be working out two times a day. He would be partying his you know Gronk ass off that's what he does so I the fact that he's working <laughs> I think is a sign that he wants to come back now and I do think he's only coming out to work with a potential Hall of Fame quarterback with a win now roster so where if he, he comes wants back, it's, yeah if he comes it, back he be, wants he wants a good quarterback he's not going to go and take the highest contract paid by the Jets like no, why no, would no. he do that no way. He's he got, need he's to. got the money. No, he's going to go and play with a quarterback who's going to, you know, give him and feed him the ball. Um, I, I think that it really did solidify the fact that Jared Cook isn't returning, though, based off the way that Tom Telesco was talking about it. I don't think Jared Cook's on his way back to the Chargers. Um, I think that's highly, highly unlikely. Uh, I, I would hope so. But what it, I still just think he values veteran leadership there at that spot. I don't think that guy's going to play a whole lot. I think you're going to get a lot of passing snaps to Parham. All your utility stuff's going Anderson. You need a blocker. You got McKitty. I really think that guy's just there as a player coach, which at that point, yeah, I mean, we Antonio just go with Gates, the three we got. He brought Antonio Gates back at the end of his career, but then at some point he was like, okay, no more Antonio Gates, right? Like We got what we got from him. We got what we got from him. I think that if he's going to bring a veteran presence, it's going to be a guy who can actually play. By the way, Zach Ertz is out there, right? Sure. Yeah. And that's like he was – He was a, uh, a lot of people thought that the Chargers were going to trade for Zach Ertz. And, you know, 
if you if you want a player who can still be very productive, who's not going to cost you a whole lot, who can come in, still play tight end one, potentially split time with Donald Parham, give Donald Parham some more snaps. Yeah. I think Zach Ertz makes a lot of sense. No, yeah, that's yeah. In the same vein, I think Gronk is just he gives you a lot of hype. You're going to get a lot of attention from a signing like that. But Zach Ertz is the same qualities that I'm looking for in a guy like Gronk. Zach Ertz has it in spades. So I'd be yeah, totally on board with bringing in a guy like that. Just and then to add, this, I don't think we need yeah. a elite threat like a Nujoku or a Jaseki. I just don't think we need one. Like no, people, I don't think so. I think it's overpriced. I think that overpriced. Yeah, like I I like Gasecki. Don't get me wrong. Like I think he sure. is a really really good player. He plays in the slot. He's basically a big slot for you. Uh, he doesn't really offer you too much run after the catch, but he is a target without a doubt. Absolutely. Uh, who has been very productive playing with a subpar quarterback most of his career. Um, I think that it makes sense that we bring in a Gasecki or or a David Njoku. I just don't think that's the route we go. I, I see more of a Kyle Rudolph than I see of mm. a top tier tight end. Well, and I mentioned it early, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I really like a, a guy like Tyler Conklin, younger, under the radar, but can do a lot of different things and is really untapped. Uh, the bummer there, I think if you take a guy like Conklin, you're super, you're, you're digging way into Donald Parham's career as that number one guy. And I think that's kind of the team's, you know, momentum. Yeah. They're, they're kind of playing for the position. And then in the same breath, he was also talking about uh, the running back room and needing to find a reliable RB2. So yes, I think they're goodness. going to address it. I think it's going to happen in free agency, knowing that you have two young backs already on the roster. I think that we're going after a legit, like a Sony Michelle or a, you know, um, Leonard Fournette. Like, I think we're going to find ourselves a really good RB2 in the four to $6 million range. Somebody that can take some, some of the carries away from Austin Eckler. Cause yeah. as great as Austin Eckler was, I, I don't think he should have had as many carries or targets, just a, the, the total number of touches that he had. And he did a lot with them, but I'd like to prolong his career more than, than give him, you know, 30 touches a game. And he'll tell you the same thing. I heard him. I, I can't remember what podcast it was, but I heard him talking uh, and he admitted that he took a, you know, his body took a major toll this season. And I was kind of mentioning it. He doesn't look as fresh as he has been in recent years, even though he's been, you know, re- relatively healthy up, to, you know, last season. He was just missing something to me. And it was because he was getting banged. He was getting hit a lot more yeah, than he yeah. ever had in his career. He, he, we need that little buffer zone to keep him fresh because that's when he's at his best. He could still get 20 touchdowns uh, with, a you know, if you take two-thirds of the snaps that touches he got last year. He's still capable of that. He's that explosive yeah. and dynamic. I, I agree there. Um, I, you know, I think that you just need to – I mean, imagine getting him in, like, week 12, like how he was physically in week 12 in week 17, right? Yeah. Like. You know, you take you take a, a third of his snaps away or a quarter of his snaps away. You're still going to get a lot of production out of him, but you're giving you know him a breather, a different change of pace back. I think a big reason why he got so many of those carries is because there was no real production behind him. There wasn't. Moving on to Brandon Staley's presser, uh, I feel like most of his presser was talking about his coaching staff. Uh, the Chargers hired Ryan Ficken to replace Darius Swinton. 
Uh, Chris Gold, who's now going to be a special teams assistant uh, underneath him. You've got um, uh, Tom Arth, who he was familiar with uh, in, in college, uh, head coach over at Akron. Uh, you got Mike Heasted, who was hired on as the offensive assistant, and then Brandon Nugent, who's going to be the team's new offensive line coach, uh, replacing Frank Smith, obviously. I feel like he just kind of talked about his relationships with each one of them and how he's excited with each of those guys. Um, any takeaways? I, I feel like our coaching staff is pretty solidified at this point in time. Uh, the one thing I do want to talk about with Harry Histed, uh, he 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 coached some really good players over at Notre Dame. Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey. Like he he's definitely uh, helped develop some talent for the NFL who all those guys are playing absolute phenomenal football in the NFL today. So he also touched on the defense, right? So uh, Brandon Staley and, and uh, Tom Telesco were talking, being asked questions about the defense, but they didn't shy away the fact that we still need to continue to push this offense forward, which is scary to think about because when you, you, you look at the Chargers defense and how bad it was, the Chargers offense was really, really good, and it's still in its infancy stages. Like Imagine once this team gets on all cylinders on the offensive side of the ball, and we can talk defense all we want. We're going to see a totally different defense. We don't know whether or not Asante Samuel is going to be playing in the slot and we go get a Dante Jackson or go get – uh, crazy to think about, but you know, JC Jackson's out there and that's still a possibility. We could go and get a number one corner like that and we can move Sante to the slot. Um, a lot of moving pieces. This team is going to have probably eight to 10 different starters on, on both sides of the ball, which is just insane to think about. No, Yeah. Really exciting time. You heard Staley talking about Last year was about building a culture, kind of teaching where you want to go with the defense. And this year, especially this free agency, with the flexibility we have in cap space, is all about giving Staley the right pieces to execute his vision. We were missing that. We were missing the chess pieces. We just didn't have them. Uh, and another thing that I thought he said that was awesome is, like, as long as he's a coach here in Los Angeles, they're always going to be uh, in search of defensive backs. It's a, you know, pass rush and cover league. You can never have too many pass rushers. You can never have too many DBs who are quality covers, who are quality uh, tacklers in space. So I think you're seeing it's, it's all good. I think another important addition that they, that the coaching staff has been talking a lot about is adding one of those, another versatile DB in the mold of an Adrian Phillips who we lost who could play multiple positions similar to Derwin James. I think a lot of what we saw last year was Derwin James was the only chess piece in that secondary. He was the only one who could move in every position. So he was kind of just filling roles instead of getting put in position to make plays. I think if you can get another Adrian Phillips or a Tyron Matthew, um, who's been getting a lot of buzz coming into Los Angeles, if you can get another guy like that to put in that role where Derwin was and then to be able to put Derwin in the best spot for him to make a game changing play is going to just take us to, I think the is going to be able to accomplish that vision that Staley has set. All right. So I'll let you go first. Cause I only made it to five. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so I'll let you I wish I... go. Ahead. 
Go ahead and tell me your uh, your your first player, your offensive lineman in the draft that you want to talk about. Okay, well, you know, this is a guy gaining a whole lot of momentum right now. Uh, if he's not at the top of the draft, the tackle class right now, he's creeping up there. And that's uh, Iki Aquanu, the tackle from North Carolina State. An extremely powerful player and a guy I'm starting this O-line conversation out with because I think he, you know, the Bolts stand a very low chance of being able to draft him at 17 uh, because he's one of the best players in the entire draft, regardless of position, you know, draft network has this guy ranked over Evan Neal and Mel Kuyper's second uh, mock draft of the season. He just released earlier this week. He has the going number one overall to the Jaguars. Most rankings have him over Charles cross. And just looking at the tape, all three of those guys, I'd be surprised if any of them make it out of the top 10. I'm praying that there's a mod, you know, magical bong video appears out of one of those three, because them either any of them slipping out of the top 10 would be a dream come true for the chargers um but back to aquanu this guy is an absolute dominant run blocker um it's it's probably the best part of his game he's very tough extremely physical and he brings like a, a great blend of aggressiveness and nastiness he, he's very impressive when he's out in space and he's able to deliver just these incredibly powerful blows at the point of contact. It leads him to, you know, dropping his assignment to the turf more often than not. His physicality is absolutely eye-opening when you turn on this tape. Very talented as a frontside blocker when he's asked to pave the way, but he's also a very crafty blocker. He knows when he just needs to beat guys to spots and remove them from the play, you know, as a pin, as a backside blocker. He's really good when sealing off his defender, you know, pursuing defenders as a backside blocker. He has really good instincts most of the time when, when to initiate double teams and when to move on to the next level. He's just a very aggressive blocker in nature. And he's looking out, he's going out there looking to deliver a shot. I've seen him get a little too aggressive at times leads him to maybe not holding on to blocks as long as he should have, as he tries to mow down the next guy uh, at the second level. But this is overzealous behavior you absolutely want to see. You know, he's just a guy who likes to hit and he's looking to go make impact blocks wherever he can. With his physical tools, he's just someone who needs to mature, grow with an NFL coaching staff, and just refocus that enthusiasm in a more efficient and effective way. Overall, very, very good run blocker. And as a pass blocker, is really his knock in 2020. In 2021, he took major strides. He's allowed three sacks, 10 hurries on over 500 pass block snaps. So he's making strides there. I think in the past game, he's a very quick processor. He, he sees things coming and happening in front of him at a very high level. And I think that just speaks to his incredible high IQ for the game. He picks up and identifies blitzes very well. He's a very cerebral player. He knows when to pass off stunting defenders onto the guard. And it's these instincts that make him really quick in recovery when he does get out of, you know, get out of position. Um, while I was reading, North Carolina State has a really cool tradition of giving syrup bottles to all of their offensive linemen for recording pancake blocks. You can't enjoy <laughs> pancakes without uh, a little bit of syrup, right? Icky, over two years, has collected 154 syrup bottles representing his 154 pancake blocks. He just likes to knock guys to the ground. The article I was reading refers to him as the pancake king of Raleigh. He's also been referred to as the most feared lineman in college football. 
And his name uh, in Nigerian, I've been told, Akeem Okwanu, literally translates to my effort will not go in vain. It's a very talented, also a versatile prospect, played over 300 snaps at guard. But this guy is way too gifted to bury inside. He's going to dig out a very successful career as a tackle, and whoever lands him is going to be absolutely thrilled with this guy. How many? How many? 154 pancakes. It's insane. That's so much syrup. I, I can't believe we didn't give this poor guy type 2 onset diabetes. That's so much sugar just hanging out in the guy's, you know, locker, you know, dorm room or whatever. A bottle of syrup is at least like 15 pancakes. Like, let's be real here. Yeah. That's a you lot of syrup. That is, that is so it's, much sugar, man. I got diabetes just thinking about how much. I thought. Yeah, thinking about it, it should probably be like 20, maybe like a 30 stack yeah. before you get a, a bottle of syrup. A full <laughs> bottle of syrup per pancake. Per pan- one pancake. Here's some Here's some pancake with your <laughs> syrup, sir. I'm going to talk about Charles Cross, 6'5", 310 pounds, played for Mississippi State. This guy's really young. He just turned 21 in November. He's probably one of the youngest offensive tackles, and he's going to be drafted in the first round. According to 4-7 Sports, Charles Cross, he was a five-star recruit. He was the fifth-ranked offensive tackle in his class and the 27th national recruit overall. He visited all the major schools, USC, Mississippi, Ole Miss, Florida State. Uh, He had originally committed to Florida State, but he rescinded his offer after the mess of the program that that became, and he ended up staying home at Mississippi State, uh, which is where he's from. He's from Mississippi. Uh, So in this draft class, he's ranked anywhere between the second and the fourth offensive tackle in this class. And it's for a good reason. He's a two-year starter for Mississippi State, redshirted his freshman year. He's a little little bit of a mauler. Multiple times he was just able to take his opponent to the ground. He's just got that physicality to his game. Uh, The issue that that Mississippi Mississippi State had is they constantly play from behind. And that physicality as a run blocker just wasn't utilized as much as it should have been. There's so much untapped potential there for him in the run game. And it it's kind of a shame to see them play from behind so often because I feel like that's an area of his game where you really want to bring it out because he's a nasty guy. Uh, where Cross is also really good at, though, is in pass protection against Alabama, LSU. He wasn't beat by a single speed rush off the edge that I saw, and that's premier talent there. He does a phenomenal job in the passing game, passing off stunts, picking up stunts. He's patient. He feels when it's going to happen, and he's, he just looks really comfortable there. Uh, where I think he has issues, he sometimes likes to backpedal instead of kick step, which isn't a great thing for uh, offensive tackle. You want to see a smooth kick step. You want to see him mirror guys. And for whatever reason, there's some sort of unnatural footwork going on there that is going to need to be cleaned up. And it is like a major issue in my opinion, because that's not something you want to be seeing out of a three-year starter or a two-year starter guy who's been in college football for three years. But again, he's really young. He's only 21 years old. So you can still develop that. Like he has a lot of development left to go. Uh, He didn't see more than three or four edge rushers, uh, three or four rushers at a time. Uh, You don't see him picking, having to pick up a whole lot of blocks uh, um, you know, a lot of blitzes, sorry. Uh, defenses were just dropping coverage quite a bit because they were playing from behind so often. The other issue, he's really handsy. Uh, he was cold for 
multiple penalties pretty often. Uh, and there was a lot that went un- uncalled. Uh, he doesn't keep his hands inside of his frame of edge rushers. Uh, he likes to keep his hands on the outside shoulder and he likes to grab. Uh, and it's kind of like a cheat to him. Like it's his, like, a, I don't know, a guilty pleasure. I, I, don't, I don't know what you want to call it. Like he, he's very handsy. Um, you know, you I think you call that want- a fetish. Yeah, it's, he's got a fetish. <laughs> he's got a fetish. He likes to you grab know, guys. He likes to grab guys. Um, and he's not very good jabbing, right? Like, he likes to catch defenders and then ride them out. Uh, you don't really see too much of a grab, um, uh, a jab. Uh, I think there's a lot of untapped potential in Charles Cross, and I, I see why the hype is there, but I think there's a lot of development that needs to happen for Charles Cross. I think that he is a little over... Uh, stated in in his draft rankings, just because I feel like there's a lot of issues that need to be picked up and, and fixed and corrected. I think a big reason why he's being thought of as as a pretty high draft pick is because he's as talented as he is, and there's still he's only 20, just turned 21. Like this guy's only been going to the bars for like three months. Like this is insane, right? Um. I, I just I don't think that he's worthy of a pretty high first round draft pick uh, where he'll probably end up being taken. Um, he doesn't really mirror. He doesn't jab. Uh, he's kind of, you know, like playing an offensive tackle is kind of like boxing. You're kind of like dancing with your opponent and you're throwing jabs. But Cross is kind of the type to like hug you and bite your ear off. Like that's kind of how Charles Cross plays. Um, I think there's a lot to, to like about the player. But I think there's going to be a a couple years before he's able to take the next step and be a starting offensive tackle. Well, then let me ask you this: If he, you know, his concerns, as you know, from a technical aspect, are, you know, are more than you know the media is making out to be, because right now he's like mocked most of the time in the top ten picks. If if you don't you don't really see him in that range. If he's around I at don't. seventeen, how do you see him? You know, slate. I would as- get it. Right, I would get it. Like I would get it because he's 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 big, he's long, he's he's got he's got everything you want out of a, a, a offensive tackle, but I think he's gonna be one of those players that takes two, three, four years to develop. And I think you're yeah. drafting him on the potential based off of his size, based off his arm length, based off his athleticism, because he is really athletic. But I think he's going to be one of those guys that gets drafted in the first round pretty early and doesn't pan out. Doesn't pan out and, you know, is kind of like a, you know, a Jerry Tillery where he's got the he's got the things that you want, you know, out of a a defensive tackle. Right. But there's a lot of guys drafted in the first 15 picks who just don't pan out. And I feel like I just feel it like that's going to be him. He's your guy. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, moving down my list, a guy I don't think is going to be a dud is Tyler Linderbaum, uh, the center from Iowa. And I'm calling him a center because after taking a look at the tape, I'm not sure he really has the versatility to play guard. Uh, and I think the biggest reason I can't get my mind around that is because he's such a dominant center. He, I don't know if you would want to move him. You know, he's great at what he does. And to me, moving Linderbaum to guard at the next level would be as surprising as the Lions last year drafting Panay Sewell and then moving him to right tackle. Hey, technically, those guys can make the switch. Technically, 
But if you draft Lindenbaum with the plan to play him as a guard, I, I think you're footballing wrong. You're just not taking advantage of what he does great. And what what I was saying is he's such a great center and he's such a smart player. I feel like a team would be really wasting his brain and his abilities to identify and communicate, you know, make the necessary communications for the pre-snap adjustments. On top of that, he's a very, very talented athlete. He was a former wrestler in high school and actually played all of his freshman year at Iowa as a defensive tackle. Um, He's just recently switched to the offensive side of the ball. And he really carries that, you know, that athleticism over into center. He absolutely explodes off the line and also carries that play strength to move people in the ground game. What I like about him in the run game is he's a guy who's constantly working. He always has his head on a swivel and he's always looking to make the next block. And he has the mobility to make some, you know, incredible blocks at the next level. Despite, you know, being a little undersized at 6'3", 289 pounds, he's incredibly strong. He has very, very strong core, very, very powerful legs. And it's really impressive how strong his anchor is. Like once he digs in in pass protection, you have a hard time moving this guy. And with his wrestling background, he has a great understanding of now how to use his leverage to his advantage. You know, being 6'3", 289, he's already a little smaller, shorter than the defensive tackles and the, the DNs that he's dealing with. So he already wins there, but he uses it to his advantage even further. He's able to lift guys, pull them off balance. He's really like a, a sumo wrestler in pass protection. He reminds me of the guy from the replacements where they go out and they literally sign a world champion sumo wrestler to go play guard. In Lindermont's case, he's a center, but he's a really, really good one. Um, in pass protection, he allowed only one sack, two hits, four hurries on 457 pass block snaps, and he's still learning the position. I mentioned he's only been playing center for two years. Um, A guy who has tremendous range in the screen game, and I've seen him get to his stance uh, to points on the field that I think very few NFL centers can get to. Uh, That should really get offensive coordinators just absolutely drooling with the, the options of exotic screens they can implement with a guy simply because he just has unmatched mobility for the position um it's combine season so it's going to get into that mode where we just see guys with freaky athletic ability linderbaum's going to be a guy who's going to impress come combine he's a guy who squats over 600 pounds but also ran times of 1.55 in the 10 yard split and was timed at 4.22 in the shuttle just to put that in perspective you're going to see some good quality running back prospects run those same kind of times rarely gifted athlete uh and i think he's going to carve out a a hell of a career at center that's insane that's that's insane to be that athletic and be you know 300 pounds like that's crazy to to be able to do that i don't think people understand like for a, a, a a offensive lineman to test anywhere near in agility drills as a running back. That's crazy. Absolutely. Super insane. Um, And yeah, for when the linemen get going, he's a guy you got to watch because he's, he's an athlete. We kind of, you know, because they're so big, they kind of get lost in the shuffle linemen. These guys are athletes too. They're huge individuals with incredible athletic capabilities. Um, And Linderbaum is somebody you're going to instantly notice uh, come these combine workouts. I'm going to talk about Sean Ryan. A 6'5", 320-pound UCLA offensive tackle. 
Uh, coming into the draft, he's listed as an offensive tackle. I feel like he's built more like a guard. Uh, while he is 6'5", like he doesn't have the length that matches with his height. Uh, that's not to say he, he doesn't have a thick, bulky frame. It just lacks the length that he needs. His arms are a little bit shorter. His legs, uh, as massive as they are, they're just not the ideal length for a guy that you want kick-stepping out of a tackle stance and pass protection. Uh, his skill set as an offensive lineman, though, it really is in the run game. He's the type of player who, who can kick out the tackle, but he's going to be in his best in the trenches moving forward. Uh, Ryan is just – he's a hes a power offensive lineman. Like, if you need push, you need to run right behind him, let the snowplower just clean the road for you. Like, this guy is massively strong, and he's got good weight on his frame. Uh, he's not afraid to get down and dirty, take defenders to the ground. He's got this nastiness you kind of want in a guard. Uh, if you're playing him play tackle, uh, you're going to get good production out of him. I think that he's capable of doing it. Uh, one of the things you notice, like, is his arm placement. Like, he's very technically sound. You can tell he was coached by Chip Kelly because he's he's just super, super well coached just overall. The fundamentals are there. Keeps his hands inside the frame of the defender. Keeps his thumbs up. Keeps his elbows tucked. Um, he's got enough of a punch to throw defenders off their line. Uh, most of his pass sets come off of left tackle. But on designed runs, they actually moved him to the right side to play right tackle. Uh he just, he clears out running lanes and, you know, it's kind of interesting to see, um, you know, that the defense knows what's coming, right? If Ryan's on the right side, they're running to that side. They're just going to do it. He didn't take any pass sets I saw out of right tackle. Uh, but when you need like two, three yards and you're going to, to run behind him, uh, they, they moved him and told everybody, this is what we're doing. Come and stop us. And they could not do it. Uh, the issue, though, with that is there's no pass sets from the right side, so we don't really know if he can do that. Um, I, I just, you know, being uh, an offensive tackle it's in pass sets, it's very directional, and there's a lot of guys who struggle to cross to the opposite side when they've been playing on the other side their entire career. Um, he's going to be an above-average starter for many, many years, regardless of where he plays. I'm sure some teams will be able to to – swallow the fact that he can play offensive tackle but when you're you really look at it he's as a guard he's a pro bowl type player dare i say like, like an all pro talent as a tackle he's going to be a really reliable protector who's just going to do enough to protect his quarterback but he's not going to ever likely be a top tier guy at that position um when i think of it i think of like brian bulaga right brian bulaga has been regarded as a really quality offensive tackle for many many years but he never had the Pro Bowls or the accolades or anything that really set him apart to tell the, you know, the NFL that, you know, I'm one of the best players at my position. He's just like a really solid pick. For that reason, I, I think he's going to go in the second round. I, I've seen him mock kind of there quite a bit. I'm totally okay taking him in the second round to go and play a tackle. But I feel like his future, his best skill strength is going to be in the run game. I feel like that's his best spot. Um, we'll see – where he ends up landing, I think that depending on on who drafts him is going to decide where he plays it in the NFL. Good deal. Um, I'm going to move down my list. I'm going to talk about the massive tackle from Northern Iowa uh, and being Trevor Penning. You know, as a redshirt senior guy, 
obviously has a ton of collegiate experience and absolutely was the tone setter for the Northern Iowa offense, absolutely dominating his FCS, FCS competition, uh, something you have to do when you're coming from that level. And he's quietly improved on his game every single season. And, you know, in past sets, he, he shows good initial quickness to get off the ball, get into his stance quick. He's a very patient blocker in the past game. He lets his rush come to him. Um, and although he does have some technical deficiencies that I'll get into more, you know, in a, in a moment here, he won more reps than he lost, and especially last season where he just allowed one sack, six hits, six other creepy hurries on 436 pass snaps. Now, sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. When you're craving Church's three-piece classic, there's no other option. Two crispy legs, a thigh, and a warm honey butter biscuit are the only way. And that's why we call it a classic. Church's Texas Chicken. Tap the banner to find your nearest location. Offer valid at participating locations. What you're getting in Penning, you're drafting him for his play strength and his physicality. He is out there looking to take his opponent's heads off every single snap. And a lot of the times you see him playing through the whistle. He's a borderline fringe, dirty player. Uh, I'm going to say it because he, he, he makes no friends. He's out there playing after the whistle. He's always the last guy to hit somebody. Um, and he makes no friends because he finishes people. He drops them to the ground. And a lot of reps end with Penny tossing individuals to the turf, but then he wants to hurt you. He, a lot of the time, is looking to bring his massive 6'7", 320-pound frame down on his defender and deliver a blow again after knocking the guy off his, you know, off balance. I'm almost 100% sure that Trevor Penning's favorite video game growing up is NFL Blitz, where you're just allowed to, you know, <laughs> beat up on the guy after you tackle him. <laughs> You know, if, if you're not familiar with NFL Blitz, it's a football video game where it lets you just ragdoll your guy, your opponent, after you tackle him. You could literally jump up, elbow him in the face, kick him, do whatever you want to him until the I'm next th- play is snapped. I'm thinking of, like, after the play where he goes and does the, the yeah. leg drop, right? And you, you're like- that's exactly. So that's Penny, but in real life and as an offensive tackle. So we were talking about Linderbaum's weight room prowess. Penning set an Iowa, Northern Iowa weight room record. Max out on the squat. He maxes out on the squat rack at 625 pounds. I watched this guy casually power clean 385. So I'm serious when I say Penning is capable of making college football's best athletes look like paper paper bags. He just tosses them, disregards them. He has no regard for human life. He's a nasty individual, and you know that's how he plays football. I, and I've I've told you, Tyler. 
I really think he's too nasty for the Chargers to want to take him at 17. He had a really dominant showing in mobile. He's definitely going mid to late first round, you know, at the latest in my opinion. But I just don't know how a guy like that's really going to mesh with the introverted superstars we already have in-house. I'm thinking Rayshon Slater and Justin Herbert. I just don't see the culture fit with what Staley is attempting to build here in Los Angeles. I just don't think it makes sense. Now, I mean, you saw it at the Senior Bowl, right? Like him, like he didn't make any friends at the Senior Bowl. And, you know, he was there like he was dominating, but he's also like getting in fights at the Senior Bowl and that's around your yeah. coaches and stuff. So it makes you wonder, like, you know, he's not a locker room dude, for sure. Definitely not one of those guys that anyone's going to go and have a beer with, you know. No, <laughs> no, no. And so and beyond that, um, there's some holes in this game. First off, the guy plays completely upright, completely vertical every snap. He has the worst pad level, you know, uh, discipline I, I've seen in a long time. It makes sense. He's he's just really big. Um, and then he initiates all of his contact with wide hands where he's looking to bear hug people. And it's these technical deficiencies that really I've seen him lose every rep at the point of contact. Now, he was able to get away with it in college because he has great balance, he recovers very well, and he has the strength to finish guys at the end of reps. But you really see him get blown back off the ball initially. It takes him a couple of steps before he gets his anchor set, and it's those those deficiencies that are a little too concerning. Um, and I definitely think NFL pass rushers are going to be able to take advantage of that. On top of that, he can't move in space at all. He has no type of direction changeability. And it's really apparent when he's facing quicker pass rushers with a strong inside move. It leads to him reaching. Uh, he's been flagged with a lot of penalty calls, holding calls. On top of that, he's a little boneheaded where he's always trying to deliver the last hit. He gets called with a lot of roughing penalties. But at the end of the day, no one's drafting this guy because he's friendly. No one's drafting him for his agility. Teams who are looking for penning are looking for a mean, strong player, who's looking to punch people in the mouth. And that's what Penning is. Uh, you know, th there's definitely a fit for that. I just don't see the fit in Los Angeles. You know, Draft Network has them mocked to us in their latest uh, mock draft. I just don't think that it makes a whole lot of sense. I personally, I'm not going to be mad with a Penning pick at 17. I'd be surprised. Um, but I would prefer to look elsewhere for the right tackle of the future. So this is uh, you're, you're Kevin Costner and you're finding out that nobody's going to his, his birthday party, right? <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody would ever, you could pay, well, if you pay me a million dollars, I might show up. <laughs> I'm not going to have a good time. It's just one of those players that's not a culture fit for Tom Telesco, right? Nah, he's going to the Raiders or the Patriots or the Jets, somewhere they don't have regard for other human individuals, somewhere where they play a mean brand of football. Um, there's room for it. It's just not in Los Angeles. I'm going to talk about Cade Mays, tackle from Tennessee. Sorry, guard from Tennessee, 6'4", 300 pounds, 320 pounds. Uh, he started his career at Georgia. He had a really prolific high school career. He was a five-star recruit. He had originally committed to Tennessee, but rescinded his commitment after butch jones who was her uh, head coach was fired he ended up going to georgia instead uh, he had offers from all the major schools alabama clemson ohio state basically every top school you would expect for a five-star recruit uh, as a true freshman he started seven games for georgia 
that's extremely impressive considering the offensive line talent that Georgia has year after year after year. Uh, one of the biggest draws to, to him is going to be his ability to play all three positions, center, guard, tackle. He's played them all at different points in his uh, collegiate career. Um, he projects best as a guard, but he gives you that flexibility, which is like always coveted to have a guy as a depth player to be able to play multiple positions. Uh, he was drafted at, He's probably going to be drafted in the third round or later. So to, to be able to get that flexibility from a guy that late, it just makes a lot of sense, uh, in my opinion. Uh, just to have that, you know, you, you want a guy that can play multiple spots in a pinch, right? Uh, after his sophomore season, he ended up transferring to Tennessee from Georgia. I feel like his best plays on the interior line, just because he's a really gritty run blocker, he's extremely strong. He's going to be able to produce right away in that specific regard. Uh, he's got a lot of lower body strength. He can really anchor down. Uh, he's not very athletic at his size, but he does kind of enough to be able to get to the second level of fast. Uh, but he's going to be really inconsistent at that. I, I feel like he's more of a gap scheme offensive line than he is kind of in, in, in a zone-based scheme, which makes him less ideal fit for the Chargers who aren't really built for that ground and pound run style. I honestly, I feel like a really good place for him to go would be Tennessee. Uh, the Chargers, they like to move the pocket, right? And he's not that type of lineman who's going to be able to excel in that type of role. Uh, as fun as it is to see that nastiness from Mays to be able to be that that road grader, the guy to be able to move people, you know, off the line, move them wherever they want. He's going to be really, really inconsistent. I think he has the talent, but I think he makes a ton of errors, like flat out just missing guys. Uh, he's just really overzealous at times, which is surprising considering all the coaching he had at Georgia. Like he, it's weird to see a player of his caliber, somebody who was so highly touted coming out of high school, lack all the fundamentals, make all the m mental mistakes. He's not very disciplined. He just never really lived up to his hype. He's, he's not flexible. There, there's a lot of negative things that go with all the positive things. He really had like a really great senior bowl, but then you watch his film and you turn it on and you go, okay, he played well doing this and that, but he also made these bonehead mistakes. Um, I actually saw the first game against Pittsburgh. Um, I went and watched that. He played right tackle in that game. He actually played really, really well in that game, but then you see him moved back into guard where I think he projects best based off of his skill set. And he just, it was, it was like, wow. You know, it's like, wow, I can't believe this dude just demolished and washed down these defenders, two defenders at once. And then you see him, you know, whiff on a 240-pound um, linebacker coming up the middle. Like, it's it's very inconsistent. You never know which player you're going to get from play to play. Um, he just looks like one of those players that just never fully developed. And he had all the opportunity to world being, you know, at Georgia. Um, that type of underachievement is likely going to follow him to the NFL. Uh, I think he's going to hear himself called in, you know, rounds four through six, somewhere in that range. I think that there is value because he offers you a lot of different things there. But I feel like he's one of those players who finally develops in the later part of his career. You know, 28, 29 years old, finally gets a full-time starting job just because I feel like he's very, very slow in his development. Uh, there are things that take away that you're going to like about him, like that nastiness, but there's going to be a lot of bad along the way as well. Cool. 
Um, I'm going to talk about, you know, like a, a guy I didn't know a whole lot about going into this episode, but one who completely won me over in his tape and just his, his work ethic and approach to the game. Uh, and that's Abram Lucas, the tackle out of Washington state, six, seven, 320 pounds. And a guy, I really don't understand why he's not getting more buzz um, after having what it was a very, very impressive four year career uh, for the Cougars. He allowed a total of just four sacks, six QB hits, 39 hurries over and has logged over 3,000 pass block snaps in his collegiate career. Now, a lot of those pressures came early as a freshman and a sophomore because last season he didn't allow a single sack, gave up one hit, and just eight total pressures, and played over 900 total snaps last season. Where he shines is definitely in pass protection, a very instinctual pass blocker who has a great feel for the game. He always knows where to be. Very fluid and natural looking in his movements and with his footwork. Very agile guy for being so big. And a very gifted athlete, large reach. He has a wide base. He's very hard to beat with speed around the edge. And just excellent hand movement on top of that. His ability to latch on to defenders without being flagged for it is pretty impressive. And just a very disciplined technician when it comes to offensive linemen. Um, a guy who uses multiple punches. He's like an anime character out there with the punches that he uses. Um, It's able to keep pass rushers off balance. He's extremely effective when he's able to beat up on guys with his punches. Um, He wants to attack. I I think he's a really good combination of aggressiveness and, you know, nastiness between the whistles. But he also knows that when the play's over, it's time to reset Unlike Penning, I don't think you're going to get the boneheaded, unnecessary roughness penalties from Lucas. And that's because he is, if Penning's the bad, the villain in this, you know, draft class, Lucas would probably be one of the heroes, just a very high character guy, absolute workaholic. You know, I was reading the story about his strength and conditioning coach actually had to give Lucas a key to the gym because he was beating the coach and the entire team to off-season workouts. Now, if anybody who's familiar with collegiate athletics, these guys are student athletes. They have to go to class. So these workouts are happening usually early, early in the morning in NC State's case, or in Washington State's case, this is 6 a.m. in the morning. The strength and conditioning coach would get there at 5.30 to set things up. That would be 30 minutes after Lucas, who would be there at 5, just ready to go. So I, I just think it speaks to the guy. He's extremely motivated, high drive individual, and Whatever team adds this guy is going to be very, very lucky they did. Um, Coming out of Washington State, they just didn't run the ball a whole lot. It's an air raid offense. It's a pass-happy league across the board these days, college and pros. Um, So he wasn't asked to run block a whole lot. Because of this, you know, a lot of analysts are questioning his ability in that area. Uh, but watching in Lucas's tape, I've seen enough glimpses, enough flashes of quality run blocking protection that, you know, even though it was inconsistent, I'm still on board with this guy. When he's able to latch on to guys, he's very effective using his lower body strength um, and driving defenders out of the way. On bad reps, though, I did see him allow dis- uh, defenders to disengage a little sooner than they should. Um And he's just not really able to completely neutralize guys in the run game as he is able to do in the pass game. Still, I think people are looking a little too far into that area of his game. I think the inconsistencies 
and run blocking really come from lack of reps. He just didn't get to do it over a lack of talent or ability from Lucas himself. Um, you know, despite that, I think he's really probably the one of the premier pass blockers in this class. And with a, a prediction going late in the second round, most likely a third round right now, he's he's Craft Network's 103rd ranked prospect. I think that holds a lot of value for the Bolts, kind of looking to solidify multiple holes on the roster. It allows you to you know go for superstars with those two top 50 picks and be able to land a guy like Lucas with his potential in the third round. It would be a dream come true. You know, Herbert would be absolutely licking his chops to be able to pair a guy like Lucas with Slater for the foreseeable future and give him a really, really great dominant tackle combo for many years to come. I'm going to talk about Zion Johnson. Zion Johnson, 6'3", 314 pounds. He was the top-ranked interior offensive lineman in this preseason, and he's likely going to go in the top 20. Like, this guy is phenomenal. Played his first few seasons at Davidson College, just some tiny little college out of nowhere. Lightly recruited out of high school. But hey, hey, season. out of nowhere. That's where Steph, that's a Steph Curry's stopping Steph ground. Steph Curry, but as a NFL player, <laughs> yeah, not, not very not many guys. <laughs> that is a basketball school who always seems to find their way in the tournament. But well, as a recently football a basketball school, school too. Yeah. I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time. I hear what, you. What kind, I hear of host, you. what kind of co-host would I be Steph, if I didn't interrupt you every once in a while? Steph Curry, for sure. And Davidson always seems to find their way like right in the tournament or right outside the tournament. But as a football school, I didn't even know they had a football program. Uh, this guy's built like a truck. Like on the interior offensive line, you want a guy who's a little bit shorter with a thick frame and Zion looks apart. He's always going to be the low man. And I think it really shows in the run game. He's a people mover. Like he gets under the frame of defenders and just carves out these huge rushing lanes. And it's a big reason why Boston College had over 1,800 yards rushing last year. This guy really moves defenders wherever he wants. I mean, he's really athletic in zone run. He's completely washed down an entire pile, sometimes taking out two or more guys to the ground. Like this guy just gets guys out of the way and lets you just do what it is that you want. But he plays in two different uh, Boston College. They, they do a lot of zone read type stuff. They also do a lot of like gap schemes. So he gives you the flexibility to be able to do both, uh, which is a rare, rare ability. He's just got sheer force. Uh, he was used as a pulling guard. Chargers rarely ever had guards pull in, in the schemes that you saw. Typically it was a zone run, wash everybody out one direction, find the hole, cut, and go. That's kind of the Chargers bread and butter in the run game and it works and he fits in that scheme very well and no uh, in pass protection no player i've seen has a better anchor this guy gives up no ground backwards stalwarts even the biggest power rushers guys that are 350 pounds and this guy is not moving uh, he actually easily catches and passes off stunts where i think there is room for this kid to grow is where uh where rushers are not running into his gap, he's not always looking for work, right? When you think back to, like, Trey Turner, which, you know, as a Chargers fan, when we traded for him, like, we were all really excited. Turn on the tape, and you see him. He has no work, and he goes, finds work, and he just blindsides guys. Um, I feel like that's an area of his game that he could really work on. It it would be really effective for him. Um if he doesn't have a threat, like he's just kind of gets lost in space and doesn't know what to do. 
it's a it's a it's kind of an issue in my opinion not one that's uh one that is an issue to him in particular because he's not you know uh fighting against anybody else but it's it's an area of his game that he can easily develop um he also likes to overextend himself into blocks and it at least to ha- him having way too much forward momentum because of this he tends to find himself on the ground a little too often he's he's really kind of overzealous in that quality but it's an overzealous quality of power guards. It's not necessarily a bad thing because it allows him to be super, super fu- effective in the run game, but it just kind of comes with the territory. If you're going to have a guy who's just really running hard off the snap, putting all his power and all his weight into a block, you're going to see him on the ground as well. It just happens uh, with that type of re- um, uh, power movement, like activity of what he does, right? Uh, I think the Chargers really need a, a starter quality guard. And I think he's a plug and play starter right from the get go. Um, I think it's a very, very strong free agency class. So I fully expect the Chargers to find a starter here in a few weeks. But if they don't, Johnson would make a lot of sense to the Chargers at 17. And there is a good chance that he could potentially go before that because this guy is really, really good. All pro type of talent. Uh, he does everything really well. I have like a, a comp for him as uh, Brandon Sharif. He's just mm-hmm. kind of that that type of guard who's going to be really, really good in, in, in a few years. And, and it's worth mentioning, Johnson was a, a darling at the Senior Bowl. Impressed every coach that got to Everybody. Him. He was so good. And I'm pretty sure he was named whatever team he, he played for. I can't remember which one, but he was named that team's practice player of the week. Um, cause they had him play center in that game, uh, which he hadn't played up to that point and he did really well considering that he learned that week. Yeah. Um, he's just a really good athlete. He can play, he's going to be an interior offensive yeah. guard. Uh, he doesn't really have the length. He's got, he's got actually really long arms. He's got really good extension. His punch is really, really strong. Uh, he's really good in pass protection. I mean, this guy is really, really good. And I don't see how, if he's available at 17, the Chargers don't take him because he's going to be the best player on the board more than likely. I feel like guards typically fall a lot further than they probably should because I feel like a lot of teams think that it's much easier to replicate that because you got a guy to your left, you got a guy to your right. There's not a whole lot for you to, you know, you just need to be able to, I guess, not get pushed back into the pile. Uh, you got help on your left. You got help on your right. It's not a position that a lot of teams look at and go, you know, we need to have this. But when you have like a really good Quentin Nelson or you have a Brandon Sharif, like it shows. And this guy is yeah. going to show like he's going to be very, very valuable to whoever drafts them. Absolutely. Um, we're talking value. I, I think that it's a perfect segue into my next product or prospect. And that's Nicholas Petit Frere the tackle out of Ohio state. Um, and 2020 was actually the Buckeyes starting right tackle made the switch over to the left, uh, tackle this season and performed really, really well, a bit undersized coming out of high school, but, you know, took a red shirt freshman season, add the, added the good type of weight that you want to see. You know, he didn't just bulk up to bulk up, added some mass and that, relayed into functional play strength you you don't want to just get big just to get big i'm talking water weight this guy added muscles that he uses 
he, he's a very versatile skill set, one of the most versatile linemen, I think, in this class, and he's going to be able to mesh with any and all types of NFL offenses just because he could do a variety of things. He has the power to execute drive blocks, agility to step and glide laterally, uh, and shows great awareness and is an absolutely plus athlete, especially in zone schemes. Uh, and he's able to, you know, drop vertically on deep pass sets. I, I, something I noticed, Ohio State runs a lot of play action. And Petit Freer was very good in those concepts. You know, I think a lot of some of the Chargers' most explosive plays last season came off of play action. It also being able to utilize Justin Herbert's ability and getting him outside of the pocket. Petit Freer gives you that versatility he's very athletic lineman very mobile he really looks like muhammad ali with his footwork extremely smooth he never looks like he's lumbering very very light on his feet and because of it has great recovery and just looks so na- i can't you know say it enough so so natural looking in pass sets at six five has the prototypical frame very long throughout the arms uh, and after you know added you know hit the weight room has added a pretty dense core which allows him to deal with you know, a wide variety of pass rushers. Really good when dealing with guy uh, pass rush counters. Um, and another guy who very, very effective with his punches, very active hands, um, and has the power to redirect guys with those strikes. Now, that mobility also 100% carries over into the run game as well. He's extremely fast off the line. You know, a lot of his tape looks like all pro edge rushers getting off the line because he's just so explosive. He covers ground so fast and his punch at the point of contact is just very explosive. His ability to drive into the defenders and carry that momentum through contact is absolutely what you want to see his aggressive energy in this phase of the game. It'll, you see him just driving his defender out of the frame consistently on tape and he makes it look easy. I liked your analogy of the snow, the snow plow. This guy's the bulldozer. It's a natural mover in space um, with his athleticism absolutely can reach the second level effortlessly. And I was reading, you know, uh, a sports illustrated article the other week. They think Petit Freer is going to be a top 10 tackle as early as next season in the entire league, not even his draft class. Looking at draft networks rankings, they have him as the seventh ranked tackle in this draft class. I think that just speaks to the depth overall of this tackle class. Um, I fully expect Petit Freer to be there at 17. I don't really see him making it out of the second round from what I've seen. As for the fit with the Chargers, I think, makes all too much sense. Um, he, he does look much more comfortable after switching, switching to the left side, but like I said, had plenty of reps on the right side, and it's also worth mentioning that Rayshon Slater also has that flexibility. Now, I do think Slater's a much better pass protector overall, and I don't really want to stunt his growth. So if we did grab Petit Freer, it would be it would have to be with the intention to slot him in at right tackle. And I think that's a great fit for him and for the team. He's an absolute beast in the run game, especially in our zone-heavy scheme. Um, and he'd also just be an extremely capable tackle in space, would add us some interesting beef up front in the screen game that we like to utilize. And to me, adding Petit Freer as a dominant right run-blocking right tackle It'll allow us to utilize Eckler even more effective than he was last year after, you know, tying all position players with 20 20 touchdowns. That, in turn, you get the running game going. That, in turn, takes so much pressure and burden off the shoulders of Herbert, 
you heard Staley talk about how this offense was good, how he wants to take the next step. To me, before adding a wide receiver, before getting a, another tight end, before getting a running back too, all things coming back, I'm, I'm assuming we re-sign Mike Williams, which I 100% think is going to happen. Before going at another position player, adding a right tackle, in my opinion, is the missing piece, keeping this offense from reaching that elite level that we all think they're capable of. Petit Frere would be a, a great fit. Um, I wouldn't mind taking him at 17. I think there's a chance he might be around uh, in the second round when, when that pick comes around, uh, depending on people value him. My darling of this class, Darren Kennard, he's a guy I've been talking about nonstop. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. Uh, first thing you note about Kennard, he's got a massive frame. He's got the weight. He's got the size. He's got the length. He's got the thick frame. He's got the strength, the athleticism. He has every measurable you want out of a prototypical offensive tackle. He was seen by many in the preseason as a likely first-round draft pick coming this season. His measurables obviously are off the chart. I, I keep talking about it. And I think a big reason why he stayed in school last year was just the depth of the 2021 offensive tackle class being as great as it was. I mean, when you look at it, Alex Leatherwood, Penny Sewell, Liam Eichenberg, Tevin Jenkins, Christian Derisaw, Samuel Cosme, Walker Little, Jackson Carmen, Dylan Radunes, Rashawn Slater, obviously. Screen all those guys. The, the, the best. I had, a, I had to leave the best for last. All gotcha. of those guys went by the second round. Like that is a massive amount of offensive tackles. And I think Kennard saw that and was like, you know, this could make me slip a little bit further than I wanted to. And all those guys are just as talented as this kid is. And I think Kennard is even more talented than a lot of them. Uh, I haven't been seeing a whole lot of first-round draft buzz, but he's one of those guys that I'm going to stand up on the table and, and shout. Like, this guy should be a first-round draft pick. He's one of my favorite um, favorite players in this entire draft. Last year, it was uh, the Washington slot corner for me that I was, like, all up and down about. Um, what's his name? Elijah Molden. Elijah Molden. I was on, I was standing up on top of the table screaming like this dude is so good. Player. And he showed it. And Kennard to me is that type of player. He can do it all. He's a really good, like in his kick step, he can mirror fast edge defenders. He's got an anchor to stall bush uh, bull rushers. His arms are lengthy. He's able to maintain leverage. He's got real push in the run game. He's nasty. He isn't afraid to get down and dirty. He's just a really, really fun player to watch overall. And if you watch like his matchups against Jermaine Johnson in the Senior Bowl one on one O line versus D line, he he lost one. Like he got put on his back. Like make no mistake about it. But he also was one of the only players that actually stopped uh, Jermaine Johnson, who had a phenomenal. He was phenomenal. So he was so dominant. And Kennard is the only guy who could go head for head with him. They both had multiple times winning and losing, and Nobody else could stop him at all. Um, you know, like you know, he got he let Jermaine Johnson get that defensive pancake, and you know that's just football. That's just what happens, right? He's got some technical things to work on. Uh, he he doesn't always have the best hand placement. Uh, he's got difficulty in the location of his punch. If it hits, it's gonna hurt. But every so often, he does get a little off track with it. Uh, his flat, big, thick frame, it leads to some flexibility issues. Um, 
He can stand a little too high at times, which is why he got put on his back against Jermaine Johnson. He can get a little over eager in, in, in the run game, get, you know, real full speed, whatever it is. Like he, he, he will miss his target from time to time. Um, but I mean, he's just really, really good overall. Uh, I, I wish he would play a little more under control. I feel like that's the biggest lack to his game. Um, sometimes he takes some wrong angles in, in the run game. Still, just as far as raw talent goes, Kennard, to me, is a first-round pick. He's got some inconsistencies in his technique that dropped him into that second to third-round projection. But if Alex Leatherwood was the first-round pick, <laughs> somebody's going to be willing to reach for Kennard because he's got just all that talent. There's room for development. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'd love to see the team trade back with extra picks and take Kennard in the second round. Um, he's also played right tackle his entire career, which is the side that the Chargers need. Um, one of my favorite tackles in the class, even if some players may be a little more clean uh, right off the bat, he's a top target of mine regardless of when we get him. Uh, I think he's going to be the anchor for us for the next four years. Well, and he's a guy who's gaining, you know, steam at the right time, right? You don't want to be being the number one pick in, you know, of the first mock draft of the season. He's gaining steam at the right time. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how high he can climb up draft boards. He, he's uh, just he's just one of those guys that, you know, you have that feeling for, and I think he's just super good. Well, yeah, you're, you're in your, what is it? Your feeling for Elijah Molden worked out last year, so we'll see if you can go two for two. We'll see. Um, the last guy I'm going to talk about is the last prospect of the episode, so I'll make it quick, is Daniel Fa'alele, the giant tackle from Minnesota. And these are official now. He clocked in at the Senior Bowl at 6'8", 387 pounds, Ooh. over an 86-inch wingspan. And I'm not even exaggerating when I say it. He is one of the biggest individuals in college football history. So he, he has the unteachable traits, right? You can't coach being massive. I think any, you know, aspiring football player would like to be this size if they could be. You know, you saw him struggle a little bit, uh, a little bit. He struggled a lot at the senior bowl. But I think we got to cut this guy some slack. He's a, someone who hasn't touched foot onto American football field um, until 2017. You know, he was, grew up in Australia, grew up on the rugby pitch. This is new game to him. And if you look at the physical tools, he has everything you could ever dream of in an O-line prospect. He's just going to need a whole lot of refinement in his technique. Um, he's a guy, if you draft him, you're going to need a plan for. You're going to need a, you know, a, a route to develop him, which is really enticing to me because I think his best days as a blocker are still ahead of him. Super exciting when you consider that he only allowed one sack, two hits, and five hurries on 301 pass block snaps last season. On the run game, he's an absolute mauler, moves guys so easy. But we'll just switch back to the, in the past game. He just, he wins by being massive. He's absolutely immovable. Um, you know, Aaron Donald's going to have a hard time with a five yard head start pushing this guy back. If he grabs you, rep over. You're not going anywhere. He's incredibly strong, and he does a great job of letting his wor- length work for him uh, on the edge. Now, rushers have the most success going against him when they do force him to test it. If, when they force, when they test his feet and test him on the edge, still, he's so wide 
it takes a lot of time to get around that guy. And a lot of the time it takes the defender too long uh, to make a play on the QB. That's really, really exciting when you think all this guy needs is some better technique. If he could develop a good kick step, and I'm not talking a great one, just a functional one, he can become a dominant force in pass protection because it just takes so many steps to get around a guy that big. Um, now, if he isn't mauling a guy right off the long line, he does get in trouble. The longer it takes for him to get his hands on someone, the more likely it is for him to end out out of position. It leads to him reaching, and he's so big, it takes almost nothing to get him off balance when he's caught out of position. He also being as giant as he is, he has no type of agility and lacks the mobility to recover. Now in the run game, very explosive, very powerful when he's initiating contact. I think he, I, he, I didn't really see the ability to completely drive and erase guys um, from plays, but he's able to generate so much force that when he comes out of his stance, he gains a lot of field for you very quick he, he opens up two to three wide open yards as soon as he hits somebody and that's really exciting for you know a small back like Eckler who could easily get lost in that type of space and then has the you know ability to take that all the way to the house on top of that a Chargers team who struggled last year running the ball in short yarded situations it would be so enticing to just Let's go on Fa'alele's uh, tail. You're going to get two to three yards just with all of his momentum that he carries coming out of his stance. Now, I think his most impressive ability in the run game is his ability to pin guys. And when he gets his shoulders turned perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, not only does he remove his assignment from the game uh, from making a play, he is so giant, it causes a bit of a traffic jam. So it, multiple defenders can get caught up on his block if they're not disciplined in their gap assignments, it leads to just absolutely gaping, you know, semi truck size holes uh, when you try to run on the right side of him. So I, I think he makes a lot of sense. I think he should be around second round. Um, he would be an absolute brawl mauler out there. And I think because of the other strength, you know, the other players filling out along the line, I think you could hide his, you know, technical deficiencies and allow him to, uh, slowly adapt and, and get to the level where I think he is eventually going to be get to. He's only been playing football for three years. You got to give him the guy some slack. You know what's insane? How big is he? Uh, 6'8", 387. 6'8", 387 pounds. The biggest 86. offensive tackle I can think of. 6'7", 364, Mekhi Becton. This guy's got yeah. 20 pounds on Mekhi Becton and a, a full inch. Like that is massive. Huge. And, well, and 86 and a half inch arms. Teach this guy some technique. You're not going to be able to get around him. Put him in as a as a on a quarterback sneak. Let him just grab the ball and reach forward. Like, sure. That's sure. insane. He could be an offensive line, you know, uh version of the fridge. He he's you, you play do you play Madden? A little bit, yeah. You seen like the out of position players? Fale yeah. would make an incredible fullback. Oh, Jason, he's giant, dude. That's that's unfair in in football. It's like, no, well, you fall forward, you have six feet of yardage. I don't know what that translates to. I'm not great at math, but that's six. That's almost seven foot of yards. That's a lot of yards. I, I without I even like using his arms to reach forward. Like, I wonder if he was to lay down, put his tippy toe on, on one line and put his hand out in front of the other. I wonder if he's got five yards. It's got to be close, right? 
84 inch arms. Yeah. Plus, you know, six, six eight frame. Six eight. He falls down and he instantly gives you two and a quarter yards. That's, That's dominant. Crazy. Give him the ball. <laughs> we need a yard. He'll give you two and a half. He lays down. <laughs> All right. I think next week we're going to talk about free agents that that we like. Is that is that correct? Oof, Take a, we a week off the draft. Draft. Yeah, I think that's good. Just to kind of catch my wind, I feel like these episodes have taken a lot. It's it just so much effort. So yeah, maybe a little break, and it's gonna be some. There's gonna be some interesting talking points with the combine and free agent gearing up. Um, there'll probably be some guys franchise tag from now until then. So a lot to talk about. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with. with so that let's go plan. ahead and cover the free agents. We'll do. We'll do an offensive free agents episode, a defensive free agents episode, and see where that goes. Are you available for two times next week? Maybe do one offensive, one defensive, and try to split that up. Or we'll keep it. Ten- uh, I I can't. We'll play it by I'm, ear. I'm, we'll I'm let not, you let's guys play it know. by ear. I'm not exactly sure what my schedule is going to be looking like next next week, but um, yeah, if I'm available, I don't mind going. We'll, over we'll take twice. a look at it and we'll see uh, how it ends up panning out. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys later. Mm -hmm. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART.